0: In the 15th chapter of Exodus, the Israelites stand on the shores of the Red Sea. Moses and Miriam and the children of Israel, they are in view of God's holy fire and they are celebrating God and they sing this song. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and he is my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers now lie drowned in the sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. The greatness of your majesty, in it you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger, and it consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the depths. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself upon them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew your breath. The sea covered them and they sank like lead in the mighty waters of the depths. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand and they were swallowed. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people that you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them into your holy dwelling. The nations will hear, and they will tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be stilled like stone until your people pass by, O Lord." Until the people that you have bought pass through, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. And then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he is hurled into the sea. The people of Israel sing a song about God's power and his deliverance and his judgment on those who sought to destroy his people. His power is righteous, his rule is uncontested, and he is God forever. In Revelation 15, it's kind of interesting, chapter divisions didn't exist, but it's just kind of a neat coincidence or not. Revelation 15, by the shores of a sea that is equal parts glassy water and fire of God's presence, the people of God sing a song about God's power and His deliverance and His love for them and His judgment on those who would destroy the people of God. And again, His power is righteousness. His rule is uncontested forever. When we look at These chapters of Revelation, 15, 16, frankly, from here on to the end, okay? This is the image that needs to sit kind of at the front of our vision. This is the thing that kind of needs to sit over the top of everything. Because we're coming again to a difficult piece of this narrative. We're coming to a difficult piece of this vision. God is opening up and showing us things that are uncomfortable. They make us hesitant. They make us fearful. They make us squeamish. They should. They should. And the reason that they should is because Jesus wants us to know in our bones and feel in our heart of hearts that judgment is horrible. Um, Those of you that have, I mean, like, I feel weird that some of you are rather visitors at this point, and and this may be your first few times being here at this church. I've been here for over seven years now. I think most of you would say I'm kind of not like a fire and brimstone preacher so much. No? Didn't really grow up in that particular piece of the tradition. Some of you have, some of you haven't. This is hard to preach about. Can I just be honest? I do not like preaching sermons on the bowls of God's wrath being poured out on the earth. I'm not excited about this, okay? Like, like, I'm excited about God's word in general, and I am excited about the message of Revelation in general. This part does not excite me. This part grieves me. Which is why I need to preach it. Because it doesn't just grieve me in theory, it grieves me in reality. I have people that I love that are in my family that I grieve for when I think about the idea that they want to live their lives without God. And God's going to let them do that because God loves them and respects them and takes their choices seriously. You know, so this is not something that I preach about theoretically you know like I have people in my mind and I know that you have people in your mind when we start talking about this stuff and I and I want to be I want to acknowledge that and I want to be mindful of that when we talk about this okay because we're talking about things that are horrible and and Jesus wants us to know that it's horrible not so that we can live in fear of an angry God ourselves. Not so that we can, not so that we can live in, in, I don't know, not so that we can live in unresolved angst over people we love. But so that we will be stricken with compassion for those who are moving headlong into it and do something about it. And so we have the story of the Exodus that we have to lay over the top of this. Because this isn't, just theory, this, this isn't just judgment sitting in isolation. This isn't God just saying, like, I'm fed up, I've had enough. You know, like, when it says that the wrath is complete, what it means is, is that it's, this is the fullness. Okay, it's not, it's, not, it's not God saying, all right, I know I'm done with you. It's just, it's like, this is the complete picture this is the full picture. And in some ways, there's even a thought that if you look at the similarities, there's there's some schools of thought that say, especially since when we look at Revelation, we're not looking at a a linear historical thing. It's not, and this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. When we see things, it's not it's not what happened next, it's what did John see next. Because these images are all over each other and they move forward and backward through time. And they are overlapping. They create a bigger picture. And so there's some, there's some schools of thought that say all we're seeing when we look at the seven seals and the seven trumpets... And the seven bowls is that we are looking at the same realities in three different ways. From the view of the believer, we see the seven seals as an explanation for what happens when the kingdom of God is coming and meets the resistance of the kingdom of the world. From the perspective of the world, we see the seven trumpets as these warning blasts of like, repent, 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 change, hear what's going on, like disaster is coming, turn around. It's, it's the signal horns, right? Turn around. And now we see it from the cosmic battle perspective. We see it from the throne of God himself. And each one is kind of peeling back a layer. And peeling back another layer and peeling back another layer so that we see the fullness of what's going on. That's one way of looking at it. I I appreciate that way, I think, the most. Because what I want us to realize is that what's happening is it's not that God has thrown some stuff down and then gone and thrown some more stuff down and then just for good measure gone and thrown some more stuff down. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about wrath, and judgment, what we're talking about is the reality of seeing the reality of the way things are for those who bear the mark of the Lamb, those who have actually taken and surrendered their lives to Jesus, who who live the life and die the death every day to be marked by the Lamb of God and to follow in His way and to serve Him. And those who would take the counterfeit mark of the counterfeit lamb, the beast, and live their lives, and evidently move toward a, a a significant and real death that is more real than the death that we die as servants of the Lamb, and we see them more in contrast, and more in contrast, and finally we see them in full contrast where those who are victorious sing the song of Moses and the Lamb, they are the ultimate Israel. They are the complete Israel. And those who thought to set themselves up against God, and it's not just people that we're talking about here, okay? We're talking about the powers that set themselves up against God and the people that followed those powers. They find themselves under increasing ruin as they continue to walk away from God. This is a hard teaching. I don't like it. But I can't just pick up deliverance without picking up what happens if you choose to not accept God's deliverance. I can't, I can't just pick up one part and not the other. I have to pick up the whole story difficult as it is. And that is what we see here. In Revelation chapter 15 and 16. It isn't just judgment. It's a new exodus. God's judgment is being wrapped up in something bigger. It's being wrapped up in deliverance. And restoration and redemption. And Jesus and John don't want us to forget that. Even as we see what happens as people and the world and the powers continue to struggle against the reality of God's kingdom. What does the song say? If we look at what we read in the, in, 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 in the chapter in, of chapter 15, which is a very short chapter. It's only eight verses long. But it's packed with so much stuff. I see these things. First is this. You cannot separate judgment from deliverance. God's judgment is also the deliverance of his people. If you think of what the Red Sea represented, especially this idea of it being the depths, of it, of it being chaos, of it being the sea. And you think of the story of the Red Sea, where Israel has to pass through the Red Sea and then the powers of Egypt, the powers of the empire, are coming to overtake them. And they try to pass through it as well. The sea represents chaos. The sea represents pressure. The sea represents affliction. The sea represents death, ultimately. And We even carry that into the idea of baptism, don't we? I mean, why, why do we go under the water and are baptized and come up out of the water? We're participating in this. We are passing through the, we're passing through the depths of death and the presence of God shepherds us through that and out the other side. It would be foolish of us to look at these, these, these bowls of judgment that fall. Things like the foundations of your life being shown to be not true or the loss of your health, or the loss of your, your economic well-being, or, or any of these things that these bowls kind of represent, or, or, or just the destruction and, the, and the, the, the powerlessness we feel when creation is bigger than we are. You ask anybody in California right now how they feel about creation? they feel powerless in a way, right? And some of them will leave. Thanks, Arthur. (laughs) He was telling me about this. He's like, I was thinking about this. It's kind of like the wildfire. Some people are going to leave. Some people are going to go out from it. And some people are going to try and hunker down and still master it and put themselves at risk. And, And it's like, that's the same thing that's happening here. The call comes out. Will you stay In your kingdoms, when everything's out of control, or will you come out of it and go to me, says God. I mean, that's kind of the message behind all, that's been the message all along, right? There's only two sides to this cosmic conflict. There's the true Father and Son and Spirit, and there's the counterfeit, The dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. One of them will stand, one of them will not. Who will you serve? And will you continue to stay with the losing side when it falls apart? Or will you listen and will you pass through in God's presence and come out to the other side? Everybody goes through it. We'd be foolish to think that these judgments are for people other than us because they're really just talking about the way life is. Affliction is part of life. Difficulty is part of life. Suffering is part of life. The question is, are you able to pass through on your own or not? And the answer is no, you're not. You cannot pass through the waters on your own. That's what Egypt tried to do and they sank like a stone. But the Lord takes Israel through. What does it mean? Remember at the beginning of remember at the beginning of Revelation we kept bringing up this idea of Jesus keeps talking to the churches and saying, to the one who is victorious, to the one who overcomes, to the one who is enduring, I will give, and puts all these promises, but it kind of leaves this tantalizingly open understanding of what it means to conquer, what it means to overcome, what it means to be victorious. We have a picture of what it means to be victorious. As the people of God. Who have already passed through the waters of life. And have passed through the waters of death. Many of them. The martyr's death. The violent death. The death that they died in order to proclaim the blood of the lamb. In order to share in his sufferings. And become like him even in his death. They have come through it, and they're on the other side, and now they sing the song of Moses and the Lamb, saying, you are worthy. You reign forever. You have delivered us. Even more than this, you have demonstrated your power. I think it's so interesting. Verse 4, chapter 15, verse 4 of Revelation Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? Who is like you, for you alone are holy? Okay? Walk back two chapters with me to the beast. Chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 4. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast, and they asked, Who is like the beast? Who could stand and make war? Who could contend with him? Even what they say about the beast and his power, even what we say about, about the powers that set themselves up against God and invite us to take our refuge in them is a counterfeit of the real song of Moses and the real song of the Lamb. It's false deliverance. It's trying to distract you. It's trying to say there are places that you can put your hope and your faith and your your foundation, you can sink it into this. I don't know. What is it? I don't know what it is. You tell me what it is. Is it wealth? Is it status? Is it power? Is it prestige? Is it relationships? It could be any one of a number of things, but it's anything that invites you to place your trust and stake your life on it instead of God. It's a false song. It's a siren song. It's trying to lure you away from the real song of deliverance. The interesting thing is that even while this judgment is happening, the temple of God is being opened up. His presence is dwelling in it and filling it in chapter 15. People are coming around it. They are seeking shelter, and they are seeking refuge, and they are, they, are, they are finding intimacy with God, and they are finding true victory. What Jesus wants us to see through John's vision is that that big harvest that we were talking about last week, that, 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 that Daniel was talking about, where the blood of Christ is covering and where the harvest is is ripe and being swept and brought up, that even as the judgment is being poured out, the harvest is also happening at the same time. These things are not separate from one another. It's not like you had your chance, now here comes the judgment. Because that's not how life works for us either, is it? Affliction and salvation are happening at the same time. Opportunities to go our own way and go away from God and live our own lives and opportunities to turn back to Him and live life on His terms, that's happening all the time. It's all kind of balled up into this big thing that we call life. What we're seeing is life from the perspective of the throne of God. That it is a conflict that has a clear end and a clear winner and a clear loser. And even these bowls of wrath that are that are honestly being produced by the prayers and the songs of the saints that are saying, Come, Lord Jesus, bring your kingdom, and as his kingdom comes, the kingdom rebel the kingdom of the world rebels against it, and we have this pressure that pushes. And leaves you one op, one, only two options. You either call out and become one of, the, one of the followers of the Lamb. You either surrender to God and you bend the knee to Him. And you say, He is Lord, He is God, and you are the only one that can deliver me. Or you curse God. And so you have people being harvested for God and proclaiming his name and righteousness happening and redemption happening and salvation happening and deliverance happening at the same time as you have people cursing God. And honestly, we're not even talking about death here. Have you realized that none of this is about after death yet for the inhabitants of the earth? I think sometimes we take heaven and hell and we make them these really abstract things. They are high up, and they are far away. Heaven is this place that's far away that we go when we die, and, and I'm not trying to mess up anybody's, if you love the song, I'll Fly Away, awesome. Theologically, wrong. We're going to find that out in just a few chapters. But, but the idea of you leaving all this behind to go to heaven, that's not the direction that Revelation or any of the Bible has been moving Heaven's moving this direction. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? That means it's it's right here. You and I experience heaven on earth all the time. Maybe we don't realize that. But we experience the inbreaking of God's kingdom when we surrender to God and he starts generating things out of us, when he starts using us in ways that we could not see, when he starts bringing life through us, when he starts touching other people's lives, and when we love people, until, as Patrick Mead said, when we love people until they ask us why, and then we get to tell them. We are not doing something abstract. We are experiencing heaven on earth. Do you believe that? But the opposite is also true. We again have have begun to think of hell in some abstract and afterlife. It's far away and it's way out there in the future. But to the vernacular, what do we say when we have done something that is absolutely purposeless and just not... Not beneficial at all. And somebody goes, what did you do that for? I did, it for the, I did it for the hell of it. We are saying more truth than we know when we say that. We experience pain and devastation and we say it was like hell on earth. We are speaking more truth than we know when we say that do we understand that what what we're looking at here is not something that is far off and far away but it is something that comes into life regularly our heavens and our hells are very very few <laughs> inches apart church The victors that are singing the song of Moses and the Lamb and those that are gnashing their teeth in the darkness and cursing God are not that far apart. They're all around us. Sometimes they're in our own hearts doing battle. Aren't they? See, we've got to take these images and we've got to bring them home a little bit to really understand what judgment is, to really understand what wrath is, to really be able to see the wrath of God as him saying, do you want to experience my absence? Do you really want to experience hell on earth by going your own way? I love you enough to let you do that. I value you and I value your choices enough to let you do that. That is a difficult teaching. Doesn't mean it's not true. It just means it's difficult. Yesterday. um, Yesterday. We got to kind of do the second of what I hope is going to just kind of become a regular thing for us as a leadership. Which is that, that the elders and the staff, we just got away. Okay? We didn't go sip drinks with umbrellas in it. That's not what I mean by we got away. But we went and we removed ourselves and we spent time in prayer. And we spent time in the word. And we spent time Talking. And do you know what the questions that we really wrestled with were? What is church supposed to be? Not 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 what is Sunday morning between 10 and 11, 30 or whatever it is we get done, sorry, supposed to be. Or 9 if we add class. I mean, come on, we don't even know what time it is today, right? Yeah. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. Not what a specific time and place, not what this building is supposed to look like. Over and over I heard this building. It, it, yes, it is a sacred space, but ultimately it's just a tool for the church. It's not the church. What we really wrestled with is who are we supposed to be? God, tell us who we're supposed to be. And I hope you know, I, I, like I hope you take comfort in knowing That your leadership is taking time to wrestle with those questions. to, to, To put them before God and say, lead us, show us, direct us, guide us. We need you. I think part of the answer to that question is here in this passage in Revelation 15 and 16. Here's the thing, whereas the song of Moses was just about glorifying God for the deliverance of his people, that was the real point, you are God forever and ever because you have delivered Israel, the song of Moses and the Lamb adds something else. It makes it a new point. The point now is to bring the nations to acknowledge God as the Father, Jesus as the Son, And the Holy Spirit as the true voice. Why do we exist as a church? Why do we exist as a church in the middle of this Exodus story of judgment and deliverance? Go back to chapter 14. And in the middle of chapter 14... There's an angel that follows in verse 8 and says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Babylon here, and throughout the rest of Revelation, Babylon represents the stronghold of the forces that set themselves up against God. It's like a false temple, a false city, a false hiding place, a false refuge. And, and basically what the angel is saying, the foundations are crumbling. Get out while you can. Who takes up that call? The church does. The church takes up the call and says, fallen, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Get out while you still can and i think that's really important because because sometimes i think we think that the point of of being delivered by god to to come out of babylon into god's tabernacle into god's temple means to kind of huddle up by ourselves to 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 check out as the church, to withdraw and leave the world to its fate. And kind of wipe our brow and go, whew, I'm glad we got out of that one alive. We went, I mean, we went through the sea, man. And we're okay. Whew. I think sometimes we forget that when Israel was called out by God, They still saw themselves as Egyptian a lot of times. There wasn't that much difference yet. And even while they were going through these times of despair and they were putting their hope in God, there were people around them that they knew and loved that were also going through those times of of despair without the same hope. We are the church. The Greek word for us is ekklesia. They that are called. And, you can, and there's, there's different ways to look at it, but the one that I've camped on is not they that are called out, not they that are removed, but they that are called forth by God. Called forth for what? Not to huddle up and withdraw and leave the world to its fate. The church is called out. We are they who are called forth. We are they who are called to distinguish ourselves for Jesus. We take up the song now. We take up the song that says, the Lord will reign forever and ever, that the nations may know. It's interesting to me that while Israel sits On the Red Sea, and they talk about something that's already happened. We sit on the shore of another sea and we talk about something that is still happening. We celebrate God for what He is doing and what He is going to do. And we call out to the world. We stand and we repeat the words of Jesus. In Revelation 16:15, behold, I come like a thief; blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps their clothes with them that they may not go naked and be shamefully exposed when I come. What does that mean? Stay awake. Don't fall asleep in the siren song of Babylon. Wake up. Your foundations are crumbling. Get out while you still can. Here, be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Don't try to go it alone. Don't try to say I can make it by myself. Don't be shamefully exposed and be found wanting when Jesus comes. Here's your wedding clothes. Get ready. The bridegroom's coming. It's almost over. Get out while you still can. This is why we exist as a church. I mean, really, when we think about everything that we do on Sunday morning, we praise the Lord and we call him who he is. And we ask for his kingdom to come. And in doing so, we're participating in this right here. But then we are being equipped with the song of Moses and the Lamb. Because when we get done here, it's time for you to go out and sing the song. Sing the song in your workplace. Sing the song in your family. Sing the song in your communities. Sing the song wherever you can. The horse and his rider have been hurled into the sea, but the Lord has delivered his people. And guess what? You're his people. You just don't know it yet. So come on, get out while you still can. That's why you're the church. That's why God has given you this song. So let's stand. Let's fill our hearts up with the love of Christ. With his power, with his deliverance, even with the reality that there are two ways that this goes. That we either surrender to who Jesus is or we don't. But let's put strength in our legs and strength in our voice and let's sing the song. It's what, we're, it's what we were created to do. Amen? man.